0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So very blessed. Yeah, if it's your first time here this morning, I want to welcome you. Thanks so much for coming out this morning. And uh, uh, man, I'll tell you, it's beautiful outside, isn't it? I think some people were like, yeah, it's way too beautiful to go to church. But hey, that's okay. We're here. And I was telling the brother this morning that I just love being able to, even if I wasn't the pastor here, I would, I would be at church on Sundays because I just think it's so fun to come in and, and have corporate worship and kind of refocus for the week. Uh, not only that, I believe that we all carry gifts and callings, things that can help others. And so guess what? People can't experience you if you're not here. So it's a perfect place to come together and to share those gifts and those words of encouragement. Maybe it's just a smile or maybe you've gone through something that someone else has gone through and it's just that perfect timing. We're like, ooh, what a coincidence. No, I believe divine appointment. You heard the Holy Spirit, you were here, and you're able to speak into someone's life. So that that's so very important, isn't it? And so if it's your first time here, welcome. But also maybe this is a place that you can call home. Many of us here have called Faith City Church our church home. Um, but I think it takes maybe three, four or five weeks to get a feel for things. And, and let me, let me tell you one thing though, I'm going to just let the cat out of the bag right now. And you can ask Devin, Pete, Jeremy, they'll agree with me. We're not a perfect church. Yeah. We're, my wife didn't even know that. Dang it. No, but we're not a perfect church. Guess what? No perfect church exists. Why? Cause no perfect family exists. How many a family? I heard the sigh, yes, yes. So that's what happens sometimes we get together. You know, we all have that uncle, right? We all have that person. that we're like, Lord, help me to share love and grace today because I really don't want to. Guess what? That happens in the church too because we're people, we're humans. So there is no perfect church, but I do believe there's a perfect place for us. There's a fit in the body, a place that we have what those three things we talk about all the time, time, talent, and treasure, and we can give those things back. We're blessed to be a blessing. And so, you know, I may be the pastor here and have that title, but it's just something I was gifted with. Sometimes I ask myself, are you sure? But something I was gifted with. And let me say this, I don't say it enough, but thank you. I really appreciate appreciate you for some of you to take an hour and a half out of your Sunday morning to come and worship together but not just that to hear me just talk stand up here for 35 45 people like no more like 60 minutes and just talk to you that that means a lot to me and I do my best to dig into the scriptures to ask the holy spirit what where are we on this track of growth right now because we're all in different spots but what is it that I can say or impart from the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit to help us in this walk of life? Well, I want to get going today in the message. Uh, we've been doing this series called "Unstuck," Say, Unstuck." And so we, we've been looking at different ways that we can become separated or unfastened from, maybe old ways of thinking, of old actions or ways of doing. Um, how many know that we all have different paradigms and, and ideas? And so sometimes what happens in this walk with God is he starts to shift us. He starts to move us into different modes of thinking because how many know that the kingdom of God is different than the kingdoms of this world? And when I say that, what I mean is the, the, the mode of doing is different in the kingdom of God than in the world We could really break it down like this. The kingdom of God is righteousness, which is right relationship, peace, and joy. It's full of love and grace. These are the very foundations. The Apostle Paul talks about all the great things that we can do, but if love isn't present, it doesn't mean anything. And so it's a kingdom that's built on love. the, The kingdoms of this world, we're not talking about people. okay? We're talking about systems. The system of this world is built on fear. And anger and hatred and greed and war and retribution. Whereas in the kingdom, it's righteousness, peace and joy, grace and love. And get this restoration and healing. See, I believe we just celebrated a couple months ago the resurrection. I think we can celebrate that every day. Because what the resurrection means is that Jesus put a whole new way of thinking, doing, and I believe started a brand new creation through his resurrection. So it's not just a mode of thinking, it's a mode of doing. But how many know this, that we only do what we think? We only do what we believe. And so that's where belief is so important. If you don't believe that you're a child of God, you won't be one. You won't be who you be. And so that's why it's important to discover that identity, to discover the true face of our Heavenly Father, who isn't an angry, retributive God, but he's a God of love, who desires for you to awaken to your righteousness, the scriptures tell us, awaken to right relationship. And so we've been looking in this series, Unstuck, we've been looking at things like faith, say faith, Faith. finances, say finances, I usually lose people on that one. Last week we talked about fatherhood which is pretty apropos for Father's Day, I would think. But today, I want to talk about something different. And I want to talk out of, I want to start with the the Gospel of Luke chapter 17 to get us kind of set up in a mode and a way of going. Now, let me say this. If if you thought you were uncomfortable with finances, which, by the way, if you haven't heard that, um, how many were here for that? How many remember, Pastor didn't ask you to empty your pocketbooks because the Lord's telling me right now? There's none of that. It was talking about being generous, right, having a spirit of generosity. So whether that's in your local church, whether that's at your school, out in the world, wherever that is, we have a spirit of generosity. And how many know it's not just money, right. right? We have all these blessings that we can give back. So it wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, a message to try to get you to give more money. We can give as much as you want. That's fine. We're not stopping you. But it wasn't about that. But if you were a little uncomfortable with finances, today you may feel a little bit uncomfortable with where we're going. But just hang with me, okay? Stick with me, because I believe at the end of this, every time we get together on a Sunday, my goal is for you to receive a little bit more clarity, but within that clarity, receive some healing in your soul. Uh, Receive a little, little Jesus love into your soul to heal some areas that maybe you didn't even know were there. So we're going to deal with maybe a touchy subject for some of you today, but hang with me because as we get through to the end, I believe you're going to receive some freedom in it. Can I get one amen this morning? So Luke chapter 17, if you want to follow along, do so on the screens behind us. If you're not familiar, uh, we put our notes into the YouVersion app. How many have the Bible YouVersion app on their phone? Okay, my wife does. So what you do is you open up the app, go down to the More tab, select Events. So it's the More tab and then Events. And then it should be right at the top. It's GPS location. So it's a Faith City, Michigan campus. And right there, all the notes are laid out for you. You can add your own and you can even save it for further reference to go over later. So I encourage you to do that. But we're looking at Luke chapter 17 this morning. And this is verse 1. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. And he says this it is impossible that no offenses should come now this is an interesting line to me he says it's impossible now now jesus how many know jesus was a man of faith all things are possible jesus but look what he's saying it is impossible that no offenses should come but woe to him through whom they come how many know that we always will have some type of opportunity to take on an offense. Have you ever been offended? Has anyone ever offended you? Uh, it's, it's interesting here, this word offense in the Greek is the word scandalon. When Jesus says it's impossible that no offenses should come, this is the definition for offense. The movable stick or trigger of a trap. An impediment placed in the way and causing one to stumble and fall. So Jesus is saying, listen, No matter what you go through in life, you're always going to have an opportunity to fall for the bait, that switch, that trigger, that thing that actually brings you into the trap. Think about this. Offenses aren't the trap, they're the trigger to put you in the trap. That's interesting. And so Jesus says, listen, this is going to happen. Why? Because people are people, right? People are people. Things are going to happen. People are going to do things that will offend you. And so Jesus says, listen, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Now, it was 1983, and I was standing in line at the movie theater, and I was so excited. I was maybe 11 years old. I was so excited. My Aunt Judy had dropped me and my cousin off, Stacy. At the movie theater, all by ourselves, we thought we were just growing up at this point, right? And we're standing in line for a movie called Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Some of you are like, I wasn't even born. What movie is that? Oh, I think I heard about that once. But we were standing in line waiting for Return of the Jedi, and I was so pumped. I could not wait to see what's going to happen with Luke and Princess Leia and Han and Chewie. I mean, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be amazing. And I was so excited about this. Well, this was in the summer, and as the school year was drawing uh, near, my my mom came home one day with a lunchbox for me, and this lunchbox was a Return of the Jedi lunchbox. It was awesome. Now, now check this out. It it wasn't... How many remember the metal lunchboxes? I mean, that was kind of cool, like they would actually press into... So, like, it would look 3D, and they would paint the picture on you like, oh, wow, check it out. Like, I had a Happy Days one. Anyone here have a Happy Days one? <laughs> yeah, the Fonz. a right? But I remember having that. But this wasn't metal. This was, like, 1983, man, state-of-the-art molded plastic. Remember those? And so it was this plastic lunchbox, and it was bright red, and it had this decal on the front, and it was Return of the Jedi, and I was so pumped. I could not wait to go to school and show this thing off. I thought, I will be the envy of every kid in the lunchroom. And so the first day of school comes, and I get my lunch, and I got my little backpack, and I've got my Return of the Jedi molded plastic lunchbox, and I was pumped. In fact, it was really cool. It had this molded thermos that matched. It was awesome. I mean, I was rocking it. I'm ready to go. So I go to school. I couldn't wait till lunchtime. Lunchtime rolls around. and by the way, this is a brand-new school, so I didn't really know a whole lot of people there. I walk in the lunchroom just starting my stuff like, yeah, I know. I know what I got here. Check it out. Don't be eyeing it too hard. It's mine. But to my horror, I was the only sixth grader with the plastic lunchbox. I was the only sixth grader with a lunchbox in the entire lunchroom. They all had sack lunches. No one gave me the memo that it wasn't cool anymore to have lunchboxes. I was so embarrassed, I'm like, oh my gosh. So what was so cool and what I wanted to show off all of a sudden wasn't so cool and I was completely embarrassed. Needless to say, I'd never brought that lunchbox back. I don't even know where it is. It might still be under my bed over in Flint somewhere. Who who knows? Someone just discovered it. Like, what is it? This is dumb, Return of the Jedi. But I remember taking that. Now, those thermoses, remember the thermoses that would come in them and they had that flip top? You just flip it open and you could drink a drink. Well, my mom would always pack milk into my thermos. And so that was something I really looked forward to. I would you know, flip it open and take a drink and I expected milk every time. Well, this one time I didn't realize this, but I went to take a drink and didn't realize that mom had replaced milk with orange juice. Now, how many know that orange juice tastes just a little bit different than milk? So when that first hit my taste buds, I was like, whoa, oh my gosh, like, I, I, was, I was horrified. I thought, oh my gosh, it's, it's rancid, it's, it's curdled, the milk must be spoiled until I got another taste. I went, oh, it's orange juice. But, but isn't it interesting that w- whenever we have that bitter taste on our tongue, it, it almost makes us nauseous. It makes our, I don't know how your teeth kind of can get that feeling of us like, Oh, you ever had that happen with something bitter? You ever gave a lemon wedge to your little baby at, at the restaurant in the high chair because it's just fun to see him go right? Right? Now now we wouldn't do that to ourselves, but it's fun to do that to our kids. We're just paying them back. Because that's what Jesus does, right? Pays us back. That's a joke, everybody. But but you know that taste of bitterness on your tongue. There's something about it that isn't pleasant. It's not enjoyable. It's not something that we desire. See, bitterness doesn't settle well with us. And I believe this, that emotional bitterness has that same nauseous effect. How many could agree with that? And so today, I want to talk about this idea, this subject as we talk about uh, the idea of being unstuck, unstuck in my forgiveness. And we can even say unstuck in my bitterness. Now, like I said, for some of us, we may have walked in here this morning and not even realize the root of bitterness that's in our heart. And today may be one of those days where it's exposed. And so you can feel the bitterness. You can almost taste the bitterness. You can, you can almost feel the sensitivity as we talk about this. But I want you to stick with me. Hang with me. Because the desire of your heavenly father is to heal you from bitterness. Because bitterness will kill you. For some people, yes, even physically, but bitterness will eat you alive. And I believe that the heavenly father wants you to be released from bitterness for some of us this morning. Now the author of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews twelve fourteen. he says, pursue peace with all people. How many people? Just the ones that go to your church? Just the ones you really like? Just the one who is a Democrat? Just the one who's a Republican? Just the one who's gay? Just the one who's straight? You get my point? Pursue peace with all people. He says true friendship can only be enjoyed in an environment of total forgiveness and innocence. Wow. That's a powerful statement right there. Look at this. This makes God visible in your life. See, I believe that Jesus came to reveal the Father. I believe that we, especially those of us who believe, especially to those, we're told, who believe, we are here to reveal the Father. We make God visible when we pursue peace with all people and when we pursue this relationship and create this atmosphere of total forgiveness and innocence. Now, I know I already got some of you because you're like, whoa, whoa, is that even possible? It is, but it's not easy. I'm a walking testimony of that. Dealing with bitterness in my life to the point where it was consuming me. That person or that thing that happened seemed to find its way, worm its way, dig its way into every conversation I had. And it's toxic. And your father doesn't want you to have to deal with it. He wants to heal you from that. Now, what's really fascinating here is this word pursue in the Greek means to follow aggressively. So we could literally say, follow aggressively, peace with all people. Now, that kind of takes it to a whole nother level, right? To follow aggressively, peace with all people. Obtaining and maintaining peace really is a continuous effort. It doesn't stop. It's something that we have to pursue. We have to not just pursue, but follow aggressively. And for some of us, on a daily basis. The writer here, he says to pursue peace and forgiveness. Now listen, I know some of you, maybe it's, you're on the verge of wanting to, to click off here because you're thinking, you don't know what that person did to me. You don't know what that job did when they let me go. You don't know how that affected my life. I may not know, but the Father does. The Holy Spirit knows, and he wants you to not allow bitterness into your heart because it will take you down a path of destruction that you do not want to go down. Listen, everyone has a reason to hold offense. How many here could say, I have a reason to hold offense against that person? What they did was wrong. Let me say, first of all, we're not justifying what the person did. In fact, for some of you here, you may, you may need to take some legal action because what that person did was wrong. Can I get an amen? That's okay to pursue. So it's one thing to pursue legal action. It's one thing to do what you need to do in the situation. But it's another thing to hold on to that thing and let it root into your heart as bitterness and start to destroy you. See the difference? So, everyone has a reason to hold offense, but we don't have an excuse to hold offense. So, maybe your reasons are right. You could be justified, or the right answer is, I need to hold offense because of what this person did. But really, what we're going to see today is, we don't have an excuse to hold. Does that make sense? And, and, And really, the thing is, when we look for excuses to hold offense, we're only hurting ourselves. Now, look at this the very next verse, verse 15. He's just talking about this idea of pursuing peace with all people. He's talking about true friendship. It's only enjoyed in this environment of total forgiveness and innocence. And then he goes on. How many know that when they wrote letters, they didn't put verses in there or chapters. It was one flowing thought. So he's flowing into this thought about pursuing peace. And he says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. In other words, the only way people can come up short of the grace of God is if you aren't allowing it to flow through you to others. I know. This, this isn't easy. never said it would be easy, but it's so worth it. He says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Look at this. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. See, Jesus is really zeroing in on this idea of peace, forgiveness, this idea of letting grace flow through you toward others who even do you wrong. See, that's a sign of maturity when you can love those who aren't lovely, when you can show grace to those who are not gracious. But he's, he, he, I want to key in on this. He's saying, let no root of bitterness spring up in you, which by the way, causes trouble and by it, many be defiled. Bitterness here starts with a small root. It does isn't like you wake them one day and someone does something and instantly there's this huge tree of bitterness in your heart. It starts very small. In fact, in the Greek, this word springing up refers to a little bitty tender plant just beginning to pierce its way up through the soil. Man, I love Greek and Hebrew. The language is so beautiful. It, it, it's so, it explains so much. So when it says it's springing up, it's saying it's just this little bitty tender plant. Like you barely notice it there. Uh, We we used to have this cottonwood tree in our backyard off to the side there, and we had it taken down a couple years. Say hallelujah. How many have cottonwoods around you? It's like Christmas in June. I mean, it's just everywhere. I mean, it's it's flying in your face and your nose. And and then you ever notice like on the corners, like where the driveway and the cement meet, it's like just this, it looks like snow. It's just all clumped together. And ever you notice when, when this stuff lands, especially if it lands in your flower bed, it's like within weeks, there's a little tree it's crazy. Like, what is that? It's the cottonwood. Like it lands in there and there's this like little tree and you're like, get out of there, little tree. But how many know when it's just that little tree, you can grab it and so easy to pull out. See, Jesus is trying to say something here. Listen, bitterness, when it springs up, it's really small at first and small things can be yanked out. Let's not let this become this great big tree of bitterness We need to grab these things while they're small. We need to remove them from our life. And then it says that bitterness begins to trouble you. Trouble you means to vex, to annoy. You ever been annoyed? To hound. It literally means to stalk like a stalker. I said this earlier, but there were times in my life where a couple key people had done me wrong, so wrong that it literally would stalk me. At every turn, I found a way to interject their name into a conversation, what they did into a conversation. It ruled my life. It's annoying. It's vexing. And then it says, become defiled. That means to spot or to stain. See, a stain is a permanent reminder of a past action or a deed that's done. Have you ever been out to eat? I mean, you're dressed up, you're ready to go. Maybe you're going out with your significant other. And you're ready just to to rock and roll, right? Let me give you a word of advice. If you're going to an Italian restaurant, they have these things called marinara sauces. Ever heard of those? Don't wear white. I think that white shirts and marinara sauce are attracted to each other. Because you can wear any other, am I right, Stephen? You can wear any other color shirt and you're good to go. But for some reason, when you wear white, you drop marinara on your shirt. And every time you look at that shirt, it's a permanent reminder of the miscalculation of your fork to your mouth. It's like, what just happened? But see, those stains, I, I had this shirt, I loved this shirt, it was a nice button-up, it was short sleeve it was white, say white, of course it was white. And I got this grease stain on it somehow, and I could not get it out. I scrubbed it, I rubbed it, I put all the special cleaners on it, I even used OxyClean. They're liars, by the way, because it didn't work. I used everything I could use on this shirt to try to clean this thing up. I washed it several times and it still has this. I can't wear it anymore. I can't wear it anymore because of the stain. Let me say this this morning. Don't get to the point in life where you're so stained with bitterness because of what someone else did that you're not even usable in this life. You're not a container or carrier of the grace, love, and forgiveness of God because you've been so defiled that now what do you do? You spew out of your mouth and you begin to defile others. You're you're no longer a source of healing and restoration. You're a source of animosity and bitterness and anger. And listen, I've been there. I get it. I'm not casting judgment on you. I'm not looking down my nose at you. I'm saying we've all been there. But what do we do in these situations when it seems like the stain of bitterness is now pouring over into the rest of our life? See, it starts with you, but what happens, then it begins to affect many. It begins to consume you and pour out of your mouth. You are in turn staining others by passing on your negative opinion of someone or something. And I don't believe we have to live life that way. It's kind of like wearing tinted glasses. When you become offended, you no longer see things the way you once did. You ever notice that? Because here's the beauty about removing that bitterness, removing those tinted glasses, is all of a sudden you're like, oh, things look different. Because it puts this, this haze, it puts this tint onto all of life. And listen, the Heavenly Father, your origin, your source, He does not want you to live life that way. He wants you to release that. There's such freedom when we release ourselves from offense, when we release ourselves from bitterness. See, bitterness creeps in, it starts small. It's that little tiny plant, it's tender. It's just barely piercing through the soil, and we barely see it, but eventually it will grow so much bigger. See, it starts small. But then it can grow deep and interfere with every facet of your life. But looking back at Luke chapter 17, Jesus continues here in verse 3. And he says this, take heed to yourself. He's looking at his disciples, having this conversation. He says, take heed to yourself. That, That word take heed literally means get a grip. He's like, dudes, listen, get a grip. You ever looked at someone and wanted to say, get a grip? Right? Especially your kids or you wanted to get a grip, but you, know, you say, get a grip. Why? take heed to yourself. Look at this. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. That means call him on the carpet, let him know what's going on. How many know we live in a society where half the time we can't talk about our issues with the person? We go to someone else. How many times should we go to the person? We don't have to be mean about it. We see this rebuke like, I rebuke thou. No, it's coming to them and saying, hey, listen, there's some stuff that went down, not sure if you meant to. But, but I, I want to I let you know about this. And it says, if he repents, what do we do? Forgive him. Come on. Verse four, and if he sins against you seven times in a day, Jesus makes, makes the stakes even higher. He's like, because you're already like dealing with, okay, if it happens once and he asks for forgiveness, I'll forgive him, that's cool. And Jesus says, oh, oh, by the way, if he does it seven times in a day and he repents, forgive him. Okay, dear Jesus, what's going on right now? Why are you putting this on me? Why are you putting, this, putting me through this? Look at this, verse five. And the apostles said, this is a response, increase our faith. Jesus wasn't talking about you know, getting more money, getting a brand new donkey, you know the newest model of donkey back then. He wasn't talking about receiving healing. He was talking about forgiving people when they ask you, when they apologize, and they're like, increase our faith. Now, just a side note. All right. We need to see here that Jesus, what he's saying is, if someone repents, then forgive them. We see this all through the Gospels. But Jesus is, I believe, speaking to the disciples where they are. I want us to get this. He's actually going from a concept that these young Jewish men would have understood according to the law called eye for an eye. And what we see here is that God always deals with us where we are. So he's trying to make a slight shift he says hey guys remember all that talk you've heard it said <laughs> right famous words of Jesus you've heard it said basically we could say it like that an eye for an eye what they do, do to you you do to them they punch you you punch them they kick you you kick them Jesus is saying if they kick you and then they say I'm sorry you forgive them Do you see the shift it's really slight and so we see Jesus going through and he's trying to slowly shift the way they think In fact, he says to them, if they return seven times in a day and ask you forgiveness, what do you do? You forgive them. What? what, what? Jesus, this is so hard. See, this was a huge paradigm shift for them. How do we know? Because the response was, increase our faith. And all Jesus was telling them is, if someone says, I'm sorry, forgive them. How many of us just tell our kids that little thing? If someone apologizes, what do we do? If you do something, what do you do? You apologize. But when you when you apologize or they apologize, what's the proper response? I forgive you. Not it's okay, because it wasn't okay. If revered kids say it's okay. No, but it's not okay, say I forgive you. Big difference, right? But then what we see, I want us to see this progression, eye for an eye. If they repent, you forgive them. To by the time Paul comes around in Ephesians, he says, forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. By the way you got to think about this. It was without repentance. Jesus hung on a cross. A great injustice. Innocent. Accused of crimes he didn't commit. Hanging on a cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, Jesus went from eye for an eye To, if someone asks for forgiveness, you forgive them. To, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because I highly doubt there was someone out there at the foot of the cross going, Oh, crap, we really screwed up. Sorry, Jesus. And he goes, I forgive you because you asked. In fact, look at the ministry of Jesus. All through his ministry, he would go around very famous words. Someone would say, I need to be healed. And before he healed them, he'd say, your sins are forgiven you. What? Wait a minute, my sins are for- I didn't ask for forgiveness. I know. Your sins are forgiven you. Because many times for us to receive what God has already provided, we have to be forgiven. We have to know that we're totally forgiven. And for a lot of us, we have to forgive ourselves because we don't think we're worthy. Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. I spent a minute on this because I want us to see. Because... You know, in in a lot of places in religion, we tell people, hey, listen, man, you know, God can't forgive you unless you forgive others. Yes, famous words of Jesus, but he was dealing with people where they were under law. He was shifting them from eye to an eye to, hey, listen, repent and be forgiven to I'm going to forgive you if you know or don't know what you're doing, because that's what love does. You're forgiven. I mean, the cross represents complete and total forgiveness, past, present, and future. But some people don't know it yet. And you can't receive what you don't believe. But there's no magic prayer that suddenly makes God forgive you. The forgiveness is done. The prayer or the belief is what causes you to walk in and live in what's already been done. Every time someone prays a salvation prayer, Jesus doesn't jump back up on the cross real quick and raise from the dead. It is finished 2,000 years ago. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to be funny. I want us to get this because we got some screwy ideas about what all this means. Listen, forgiveness is a done deal, but you can't walk in it unless you know it's there. So we get to proclaim there's a God who loves you. His grace is sufficient. He's forgiven you. He desires relationship with you. Your sons and daughters, you just don't know it yet. So awaken to it and then begin to operate as a son and as a daughter. Does that make sense? We, we need to understand this. This is what the gospel is all about. But Paul introduces us to this new way, which is to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Now this word forgive here means to permanently dismiss or release. Have you ever told someone, uh, I forgive you, then man, you just hold on to that thing for a rainy day. Come on, husbands. Come on, wives, right? Well, I remember when you, I'm like, babe, that was three years ago. Can we just move on? I'm just kidding. That was actually reverse. That was me with her, but. <laughs> but see, sometimes we, we say, I forgive you. And it's almost like there's a but on the end of it. And we want to hold on to stuff. All that's doing is holding on to something and will turn into bitterness in our lives. But look what Jesus says. He gives the answer in verse six. He says, if you have faith as a mustard seed. In other words, he says, if you have the smallest amount, the the most minuscule amount of faith, you can say to this sycamine tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea. And what happens? It would obey you. Now, Now think about this. Jesus is, I know you're like, Sycamine tree? What is Jesus doing here? Like, this doesn't even make sense. They got it. They understood it. But he says, if you have just a small amount of faith, say to this sycamine tree, say to this bitterness, be pulled up by the roots. So it doesn't matter how big the tree is, Jesus is saying the smallest amount of faith can pull that baby up by the roots. Say, by the roots. Right? Not just just cutting it and making it look pretty and shaping it real nice and pruning it. No, no, no. We don't want it to grow. We want it to die. He says you can pull it up by the roots and tell it to be planted into the sea. So why the sycamine illustration? Why would Jesus use bitterness as, or I would say use a sycamine tree as a comparison for bitterness? And what we can see here is, is Jesus, such such brilliance in his storytelling, such, such brilliance in, in his parables and the way that he taught. I want to just dig into this for a minute, but by the way, look at your neighbor and say, bitterness, are you sick of yours? Because I'm sick of mine. I know, I know, I got one dad joke in there. Yeah, yeah, sick of mine? A few of you didn't get it yet, you'll get it like at 3 o'clock today. you're like, sycamine tree, I get it, okay. Comparison one, this is really good though, I want us to see the brilliance in what Jesus uses here. Comparison one, the sycamine tree had a very large and deep root structure. So if you were to look at a sycamine tree and the root structure underneath, it was very large, it ran very deep, it held on very tight. Guess what, bitterness has a very deep root structure. For some of us, man, it cuts deep. It plants deep into our heart, deep into our soul. And it seems like there's no way we can get away from it. And it's funny, have you ever seen someone who is so bitter that you can like literally see it through their eyes? You can see it through their mannerisms and it's almost like they're oblivious it just blows my mind how this can happen. But see, it took something like the Holy Spirit to awaken me in these situations where I had to let stuff go. I had to say, be pulled up by the roots, voice activation, telling. And see, I was too busy telling everyone about the problem, about the bitterness, about the person, rather than speaking to the bitterness, the sycamine tree and saying, be pulled up by the root and planted into the seed see, we can see in the comparison, bitterness has a very deep root structure. Comparison number two, the sycamine tree grew best where little rain was present and water was very sparse. It grew very well in the desert. It grew very well where there wasn't water source, where there wasn't irrigation, where there wasn't moisture. Guess what? Bitterness grows best where there has been no recent rain of God's life and love in our heart. It's not that it isn't there. I mean, it could be storming like crazy outside, but you can be down in your basement and not even know. You ever like, now I love thunderstorms and sometimes they'll wake me up, but you ever slept through a thunderstorm? I mean, and you get up and you're like, you you see Noah floating by and you're like, "What, what, what happened last night? I was completely sleeping. You weren't aware of the rain. See, it's not that God isn't raining life and forgiveness and love. He's always doing that. But for some of us, we're trapped so far in our bitterness that we're in this dry area and we can't even receive the life and love that God has for us. And so what happens, it grows and it festers in these dry conditions. That's why it's important we spend time with the Holy Spirit. We spend time with the Father. We read the scriptures. We ask God, what does this mean to me? We spend time, we pray. It isn't because we have to do these things to somehow get more love and forgiveness and grace from God. It's because we want him to be present in our life. Because his light and love are like these Cool, refreshing waters. And let me tell you, when you're in that place, bitterness can't survive. Comparison number three, the sycamine tree's wood, this is really fascinating. The sycamine tree's wood was the preferred wood for building caskets at this time. Like if you were a casket maker... Like, you're like, you know, everyone's dying. Business is good. I need, more, I need more caskets, especially this time. A lot of people were dying, right? In fact, there were so many people dying, they were thrown into a place called Gehenna that would burn with eternal fire where, where the worm wouldn't die, the maggots. I know it's kind of gross, but Jesus would refer to Gehenna several times. There were so many bodies dying at this time in the first century that they were just throwing bodies in and burning them, throwing bodies in and burning them. That's just a little side note, and that's free. But think about this. If you were a casket maker, you would prefer the wood of the sycamine tree. See, bitterness is casket material and it will bury you, it will suck the very life out of you. I've been there, it will dominate every conversation. (laughs) It will suck life out of you. It will, it will suck joy and peace and grace completely out of you. It will change how you respond to people, how you see people. And in fact, its bitterness has literally put some people in an early grave. I mean, science has proven that bitterness, anxiety, uh, worry, these types of things, stress, it will kill you. You will go to the grave early. So bitterness is casket material, and it will bury you. Isn't this cool? It wasn't G- Jesus just brilliant in his use of, of different uh, analogies? Look at this. Comparison four. The sycamine tree produced a fig that was very bitter to eat. So it had fruit. But it was a very, very bitter fruit. In fact, um, history tells us that the poor of Jesus' day could not really afford figs and certain things, so they would eat the fruit of the sycamine tree because nobody wanted it. But when they would eat this, it was so bitter that they had to eat it slowly and they had to eat it bite by bite. So literally, they they would have this piece of fruit, and they would take a bite. Mm, Remember that face earlier, like when I thought it was milk and it was orange juice? Imagine that, a thousand times worse, right? And they would have to set it down, go away, and come back. They were poor. They were starving. They needed food. They needed sustenance, but they couldn't eat this fruit in one sitting. How many know a fig? Figs are awesome, right? Right? Fig Newtons. They grow on trees. They're beautiful. I love figs. You're like, you do? Yeah, it's wrapped in like this, this wheat-based product. It's awesome. It's called a Fig Newton. It's really good. Fig bars. But you could not eat this fruit in one sitting. It was so bitter. See, bitterness is so bitter that you have to come back to it over and over and over again. And so what we do is we go and we take another bite and we go away. It's so bitter. But you ever notice this? sometimes it's like for a brief moment, there's this satisfaction when you talk about that person, when you talk about that situation, how bad it was to you. It's almost like you get this gratification. It's it's almost like someone who's addicted to substance. Like they know that that substance is killing them, but they go back to it because there's this moment where it seems gratifying, but in the end, it's killing you. Bender is the same way. It's an emotional thing. It might not be a physical dependence, but it's an emotional dependence. So we can almost get to this point where we go to it because it it gives us some type of satisfaction, but as you walk away emotionally, it's destroying you. It's eating at you from the inside out. So just like the sycamine tree has fruit, bitterness is a fruit, and you have to go back to it over and over and over again. Comparison five, the last comparison. And this is huge the sycamine tree was not naturally pollinated so how many know that things need to be pollinated in order to grow well, well the sycamine tree the fruit of the sycamine tree it was not naturally pollinated but could only be pollinated by wasps so literally the pollination process was only started when a wasp stuck its stinger right into the heart of the fruit what what? Did you catch that? A wasp would literally stick its stinger right into the heart of the fruit. That's how it would be pollinated. And so the tree and its fruit had to be stung in order to be reproduced. See, bitterness is the same way. It's sown into our hearts or becomes pollinated in us when someone has stung us. Without a show of hands, you ever had someone in life that's completely stung you? right to the heart right to your soul they've done you wrong and let me let me remind you what they did wasn't right we're not, we're not dismissing what someone has done and you may have to take further action in that situation but what I'm saying is I want you to be released from what they did to you and so that person stings you and what happens is it's sown in their heart and it becomes pollinated in us when someone has stung us. And so I know that we've all gone through this. But here's the deal. What does Jesus say to do? He says you must speak to those hurts. See, I said it earlier, but a lot of times I would just speak about the hurt to others because for a moment it would feel good. But it doesn't alleviate it. It doesn't take care of the root problem. You know, you can take aspirin or medication to hide the symptoms, but what is the root problem? problem so many of us we've had this bitterness in our heart and maybe for some of you you didn't even discover or realize that until this morning well Jesus says you must speak to those hurts your voice represents your authority and here's another fascinating thing why the symbolism of planting the sycamine tree in the sea because a plant in salt water will never grow again it will die just try it out. You got some nice flowers and some trees and stuff in your garden? Yeah. Put a little salt water on them. See what happens. It kills them. I just think it's so perfect that Jesus says to speak to it, to pull it up from the root. And by the way, it only takes a little amount of faith. But when you do, what do you do? Why would he say plant it into the sea? Because you're putting it somewhere where it will never thrive. It will never survive. It will die. Because Jesus desires for us to have full restoration and full healing in these areas of bitterness in our heart. See, we can walk free of bitterness forever. I truly believe this. Sometimes it takes us speaking. And before that, it takes us believing that what Jesus says is true. Jesus is a really just a small amount of faith. Yeah, just speak to that. I'm here. I'm with you. I promised I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will not abandon you. So let's do this together. I'm the source of your faith. I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. So, your faith's there. It's a gift. Use it. So, speak to that bitterness. Say, bitterness, I pull you up. I cast you into the sea. I love how he uses these figures and these, these stories to help us visualize. I want to know we're visual. And so we see this, and, and I hope today as we broke this apart, we see how bad bitterness is, but we also see that there's a solution. It's speak to it. We can uproot those hurts and bitterness, and we can plant them in a place where they can never affect us again. And I think something else that's really important to see this morning as we bring this to a close is that we need to not just forgive others, but we must forgive ourselves. It is the hardest part. Uh, Sometimes I believe it's a lot easier to forgive someone else outside of you than to forgive yourself. Can you forgive yourself of those repeated screw-ups? It's hard. Can we forgive ourselves from those continued offenses that we are the authors of? Again, I believe it's so much easier to forgive others, but what about ourselves? For some of us, we actually have a root of bitterness toward ourselves. For what we did two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. For that lost relationship that was our fault. For that thing that we did 10 years ago that wasn't right. It's like we still hold these things against ourselves. And so sometimes the root of bitterness is towards yourself. You need to release yourself this morning and say, I'm no longer attached to that. I'm pulling it up by the roots. I'm planting it into the sea. I think about the Apostle Paul. Paul. He was a man who hunted down and killed those who called Christ their Lord and Savior. He would drag, literally drag believers out of their homes into the streets. He would beat them. He would even kill them in front of their families. But at one point in a letter to the Corinthians, he says, I have wronged no man. Paul, did you forget what you used to be? But see, I think he did. I think he learned how to release those things and realize what I did was wrong. And it's okay to be sorry for doing something wrong. But I also believe that Paul understood his forgiveness in Christ. The old man was dead and gone, his identity was completely new in Christ. He began to see who he truly was. And we know that he even changed his name from Saul to Paul. I mean, he had a literal transformation. He was not the same person. You know, the church, when he first came in and said, hey, you know, I found this Jesus guy. Well, actually, Jesus found him on the road to Damascus, right? And what did Jesus do? He says, he revealed Christ in me. He says, Paul, you don't know who you are, but let me show you who you are. And that dude did some serious, awesome stuff for the kingdom of God. But when he first came to the church and he said, hey, uh, got this Jesus thing. They're like, uh, stand back, buddy. We know who you are. It took a while to convince them he had to earn their trust, but Paul had radically changed. He had completely transformed who he was. And let me say this. We can too, not on our own, but with the help of Jesus. Amen. We need to become unstuck, unstuck in my forgiveness and never forget this very, very important point. Forgiveness is doing yourself a favor. It's not just releasing the person. We think, I just let them off the the hook and we go back to the eye for an eye. They gotta pay. But when we release someone else, do you realize the biggest person who's released is you? I've been there. Without a show of hands. How many? Just agree with me mentally. I can feel it. I'm just kidding. We've all been there though, right? So let's become unstuck in our forgiveness. Unstuck. In our bitterness. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace toward us. We thank you for this idea that Jesus brings us here in the Gospel of Luke. First of all, the idea of how deep bitterness can go if we let it fester and we let it grow. But more importantly, you give us the solution with just a small amount of faith, which we all have, we've all been given the measure of faith, it's a gift from you, even faith is a gift, that is so awesome. We can't boast about anything, it's all because of you, but with that small, minute faith, we can literally speak to that bitterness, and say, you're uprooted, and cast into the sea, never to affect me again. And we thank you that Jesus, we have the perfect example of how love lives, how love walks, how love talks as you hung on that cross and says, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, I heard this pastor interviewed, and they were asking him, What is the one thing that you've learned in life above all that has really shifted you into where you're going now? And his response just blew my mind. I like rewound it three times and heard it again because it's so simple, but it's so deep. He said this, I've learned to forgive all the time, every time. That's a way to live. And I said, Lord, increase my faith (laughs) to forgive all the time, every time what if we got to the place where we literally this might sound kind of crazy but we literally have already forgiven every person of anything they might even do to us in the future that's like our father done deal clean slate never said it was easy I think it becomes easier the more that we walk it out. And guess what? We can only do it by his faith, his grace, his love. The fruit bearing comes from him. The good works come from and through him. And guess who lives through us? Our Father. So Father, we thank you for this message this morning. I pray that it would really reach our hearts. Just do this with me. I I believe it's important like Jesus said, to speak out. So if you want to just close your eyes, you want to just kind of focus for a minute, just kind of push away all those things, especially those things that people have said and done to you, and just repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your grace. And I really thank you for your forgiveness. It's so huge. And because you forgive like that, I can forgive like that. So, Holy Spirit, show me any area in my life, in my soul, where I'm holding on to bitterness, where I'm holding an action against a person. Show that to me, Holy Spirit. What is that thing in your life that you're holding on to? Now, say this Bitterness, I uproot you and I throw you into the sea. You have no more effect on me. You have no more influence in my life. I'm no longer stuck to you, I'm unstuck. Thank you, Jesus for your healing in my life. Say this, I receive it. I'm open to you. You have permission to heal those areas of my life. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen, isn't that good? You feel a little better this morning? Now listen, it might not be easy. Some things there, you may have to pursue legal action. You may have to go a little further with it. I understand that and I encourage you to do that. But listen, you want to release yourself from these things because it will eat you from the inside out and you will not be the best God has made you to be. He, He wants you to be the best version of yourself that he's made. And sometimes we walk around half versions of ourselves because we don't even see the bitterness that has planted into our hearts. And I desire for you to walk in freedom. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.